Welcome to the Wellness Members Club. What is the Wellness Members Club? This is your safe space to get real with yourself. Where you get vulnerable and you feel validated. And an aesthetically pleasing place to talk about the ugly truth of life. Welcome Welcome to the club, club, sis. Hello, hello, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Wellness Members Club. Today is going to be hot and heavy and really amazing because we have such an incredible guest. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. We're going to be talking about relationships, inner child work, and trauma as well. She is a licensed psychotherapist that specializes in trauma and relationships from California. Hi, everybody. My name is Adrini Davitian. So excited to be here. So Adrini, we always start off our episodes with what was well and what was unwell about our week. So do you want to start us off? Yeah. What was well about my week? I had the chance to spend a full day with my nieces who bring me so much joy. Mm -hmm. So that was something that went really well for me. What was unwell for me is, can it be as like benign as I spilled coffee on me today? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I spilled coffee on me today and it almost ruined my mood, but then I remembered I'm doing this today. So I got excited. So that was well, but switched it up real quick. Isn't that crazy how something so small can just throw our whole day for a loop? It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Totally. And and you're wearing white. So it probably was not ideal, but (laughs) yes, exactly. 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 I would love to get us started here, though, and hear a little bit about your story and what led you to becoming a therapist and so passionate about helping others heal. Where I like to start when it comes to like my journey and being a therapist is really from the beginning. So I am a first-generation Armenian-American woman that comes from parents mm-hmm. who migrated to this country when I was only 40 days old. Parents who did not know the language, limited support system, basically here to create a better life for their growing family. I share this because I think it's such a big part of my story. Being in a family who's adjusting to a new world, right? A new baby. It comes with a lot of stress, pain, fear, change, et cetera. And so no matter how hard my parents may have tried to not expose me to these things, it's inevitable. The reality is that children are sponges. They absorb, they hear, they see everything. And Again, like my parents, no matter how great they were, how great they try to be, because they are, they were not perfect. And in many words, trauma is very familiar to me from a really young age, childhood Mm -hmm. trauma especially. My career for the past 15 years has been in the field of psychology and mental health. I am a trauma-informed licensed psychotherapist in Sherman Oaks. I'm based in Sherman Oaks in California, and I have a private practice. I work with individuals who are wanting to heal painful life experiences, and I especially specialize in relationships and attachment issues. I feel like my purpose is forever evolving and changing, but what is constant is my drive to heal people and also to educate people on what I continue to learn about myself and continue to learn professionally and personally so I could share it to Mm -hmm. the world. So that's my story. I love that you were able to share your experience. Also, thank you. I understand the immigration side of things. Although I was born in England, we moved over here. We had a lot of immigration issues and that was really stressful in our family. 
and you develop this scarcity mindset. And I can definitely say like my inner child has deep roots in scarcity and feeling less than and feeling like you're constantly told no, or you're not entitled to things. I would love if you could talk a little bit about that, if you ever resonated with that and how that scarcity mindset or trauma could show up into dating. Because I can say I have dated the shittiest men out there. Mm. I've done it all for the sisters. I've done it. I've taken, taken the reins, but love to know how it all connects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm such a firm believer in in the work that I do. I'm going to generalize it and then I'll come back to what you were asking specifically. I'm such a firm believer that we all have inner, an inner child, but we all have inner children within us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's inevitable. Our life experiences, there are painful things that happen. And so every child perceives and receives the world so differently. And so if you go through something where you feel less than, or you feel limited or whatever it is as a child, and it could be the most littlest thing that can be an accumulation, Mm -hmm. you basically grow up and become an adult and start basically trying to conquer what you couldn't conquer as a child, right? You try Mm -hmm. to seek and try to hold on or seek and try to achieve something you feel like you couldn't as a child. And so I feel like it's a forever evolving door if we don't bring attention to what the behavior is and what's not working for us or where do we feel stuck in our life? Because more than likely that stems from something that happened to you when you were a kid something that limited you or neglect or not even that extreme. It could be as minimal as I had two parent household and it was wonderful, but adjusting to going to a new school, it seems so little, but it's not, it's huge. Does that make sense? It does. Because I noticed I have friends who are in their forties or friends who are in their twenties and the ones who are in their forties will be like, I had a great upbringing. I had such loving parents. I had everything I ever wanted. Why do I still feel less than in a relationship? Like how, what is it? And they're like trying to dive down and find this deep traumatic situation. And sometimes it doesn't have to look massive. It can be like this tiny bite-sized moment that just impacted you so deeply. But would you say most people that have experienced a lot of childhood trauma let's Mm -hmm. say narcissistic parents or like things Mm -hmm. like that. Do you think that they keep that going in relationships later on? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to come back to that too. Um, I'm all over the place, but I'm following you. But I really think what you just said was really important and profound because I can't tell you how many times that comes up for me in my practice. Um, Something that is the reality is that not every child experiences like the extreme, the big T's is what we call them, right? Like Mm -hmm. they witnessed the murder, they've been raped, or they didn't have a home and they didn't have shelter. Not every child has had that. There are actual children that have good households and that's wonderful. However, just because you grew up in a wonderful household, it doesn't necessarily mean you weren't exposed to an accumulation of what we call little T traumas, right? Mm -hmm. And so my response to that is going back to what I said earlier, every child perceives and receives the world differently through their lens. I think I can give you an example. If a child's mom who's working and the intention is to provide for them misses some dance classes, the accumulation of that can be traumatic, right? It's just missing Mm -hmm. a dance class. But imagine that kid that sees their classmates, parents cheering them on or their parents picking them up on time, but then your parent isn't there. That creates a high level of stress, which can get stuck in our body, right? And then the narrative begins to develop. I'm not worthy of my mom missing work for me. Therefore, I'm not lovable. Therefore, I'm not worthy. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then as adults, it just, it's, wait, what's going on? I, I can't identify that one thing that happened to me. And I'll always say, 
that's not necessarily the case here. Uh, it may be an accumulation yeah. of little things. You know what I mean? The way that I see it, as you said earlier, you're the analogy queen off camera. You said this, but yeah. it's you brush it under the rug until eventually it's a mountain. It mm -hmm. compounds over time and it just accumulates. It makes complete sense now. And that's super useful yeah. for my friends that are dealing with that. And it shows up as <laughs> patterns too, because mm -hmm. I would have a problem of, I would jump from relationship to relationship in college and I didn't have big T trauma, let's say, but I, it was coming from a place of, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't have confidence. I didn't have self-love for myself. And then the same pattern kept happening where they were just either toxic, let's say, or just not healthy relationships, or I was looking for them to fulfill me. Is there any practices or exercises that you would say help individuals connect with their inner child? And like when they see these patterns coming up, relationship to relationship what is your advice on that yeah my when I especially meet a client who feels stuck and they're so unsure of what to do my biggest thing the tool and the key I think to ultimately unlocking all of these painful life experiences is two things is awareness and compassion right if you do not have awareness to what is not even working for you then it defeats the purpose, right? I keep getting into these unhealthy relationships. I keep getting into this. Do you want to explore and understand what that's about? And so there's that element of it. And some people will honestly literally say, no, I'm not ready. And, and you have to meet them where they're at. So that's an element. And then the other part of it is compassion. It's really important to understand something I say is let's bring curiosity versus judgment, right? Because when we're judging, we're shaming. And when we're shaming, what is that doing? It's causing us to honestly further further believe what the narrative is, but whatever that is, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And so I think the part of it is compassion. I'm doing the best I can. And I do want to work on this and I am going to make an effort. So there's, those are the two things I think individually, I feel like seeing a therapist is always helpful because there's so many ways to dive deep into inner child work. There's a lot of modalities, right? There's actual therapies that are somatic approach, such as EMDR therapy. I'm actually certified in EMDR therapy. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it was actually created in the 80s by uh, this person who was working with veterans with PTSD. And she found this technique that she used was effective in treating their trauma. So the whole concept of EMDR is when we're exposed to traumatic experiences, there is an increased level of stress that can interfere with the brain's ability to process information. So what ends up happening is the information now gets stuck in our brains and, and in our bodies and basically in our nervous system, right? And so how it works is we, with a client, we identify the target memory. It could be a body sensation. It could be an emotion. Um, but the target of what is uh, where the root of this comes from. We incorporate what's called bilateral stimulation, which is activating the right and the left side of the brain, which allows processing of the memories and emotions. And then we desensitize it and then reprocess it so that the memory is no longer stuck and the individual doesn't feel like they're reliving it versus rethinking it. Because our minds will trick us into thinking we're reliving something when we're triggered. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes complete sense because I know that whenever I've had like deep memories that are deep rooted that I try to brush off or block out, whenever mm -hmm. I rethink of them, my body is brought right back because whatever chemicals I release in that moment are releasing and I feel like I am seven-year-old Abby going through the same experience all over again. So that's really totally. interesting. So yeah. wait, so 
when something does, so to speak, get stuck, what does that even entail usually? So the things that do not get processed, our bodies and our minds hold on to them, right? There's an actual neurological component to it. And that's a lot of what EMDR speaks about, EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. But I also believe there is, the way I describe it is, it's like you go through something painful, right? And this is where the inner child stuff comes in. You go through something Mm -hmm. painful and it's that painful event is so horrible. And so your body holds on to it. That part of you holds on to it because they're like, I don't want you to go through this again. I don't want you to ever go through this again. Therefore, let's hold on to it. And so now your mm-hmm. body's holding on to something that might be dormant because you've created a defense mechanism to survive it, but you become an adult and it's, ooh, wait a minute. My survival method isn't working for me anymore. My defense mechanism isn't working for me anymore. And boom, now it's, oof. I'm noticing I'm getting into all these toxic relationships, right? Like the attachment issues, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, all right, let me dig, let me try to understand what my body and my mind is actually still holding on to. Wow. Crazy, right? Can we go into what mm -hmm. the different attachment styles are? Yeah, absolutely. So there's four attachment styles. There's the anxious attachment style. There's the avoidant attachment style. There's the what's called disorganized attachment style, which is the anxious avoidant. So it goes back and forth. And then you have the secure attachment style. Like me. (laughs) We're both (laughs) anxious avoidant. (laughs) Which wait, which one are you, Abby? I'm the whatever the one that someone with ADHD who hops around between different emotions, that's me. (laughs) Anxious? Maybe anxious. And then how about it's anxious meets secure i'm like i dabble with both completely yeah yeah totally and what did did you say nicole i have a question about mine yeah i would say in the past i was definitely anxiously attached but Mm -hmm. i would say now more recently if i am not necessarily secure Mm -hmm. i tend to do more avoidant so maybe i'm a little bit of both too yeah which totally happens. I think what's important when it comes, and I'll, ex- I'll explain what the attachment styles are like in, in my layman terms. But I think what's really important is, and what's amazing is that you even notice that there is an element of an attachment issue, right? Whether it's anxious, whether it's avoidant, there's something where you get super activated that doesn't feel healthy or doesn't feel good. That's so important to be aware of. So that I think is in itself very great. Okay, so anxious attachment style, what is that? So it is basically, in my own layman terms, when you are in a dynamic with someone and you, uh, it's very uncomfortable, you're always thinking there's something wrong, right? It could be through body language, it could be through what they said, it could be them not answering quick enough. Basically, there is this element of fear that they're going to leave you. So you get super, super anxious, and you're constantly trying to figure something out, right? Because you're, there's a fear of abandonment, and there's a fear that they'll leave you, right? And so that's an anxious attachment style. An avoidant attachment style, honestly, very similar. They have abandonment issues, but the difference between an anxious person versus an avoidant individual is that they're basically like, I'm going to protect myself because I know you're going to leave me anyway. So I'm going to protect myself before you leave me anyway. So this is where like Mm -hmm. shutting down, uh, sometimes stonewalling, sometimes it's not even conscious, it's subconscious. There is this thing that triggers you that goes into the space of, oof, this feels too scary for me. I'm going to go escape and not talk to anyone for like days, hours, months. So that would be like, an avoidance. It's almost like hyper-independence. Yeah, yeah. It is. It can be. Yeah. In an unhealthy way, of course. Because like when I think of hyper-independence, right. I think of there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes mm-hmm. to having, uh, when it comes to you being activated and you running away, it's less about independence and more about protecting yourself. Mm, okay. 
Gotcha. I, I basically I got this. I don't need anyone. You're gonna leave me anyway, so I'm gonna take right. care of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, complete sense. Okay. And then the disorganized is, of course, the combination of both. And then you have the secure, which is which comes up a lot. There are people that work on themselves and they are secure. However, their partner has an attachment issue. And for those individuals, although they can still be triggered and activated, they're not spiraling in it and they can separate themselves from their partner's stuff. It's so Mm -hmm. easy to attract another person who has an an attachment style because basically chaos is familiar to them. Mm. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. Now I'm curious, Nicole, what were you going to say? On what? what are, what's your attachment style now? Because you were know. saying you had a question for <laughs> I was wondering if that was like, ooh, let me ask. I have another question that. for you of just, so you're saying that you can go from anxious or avoidant to secure in one lifetime, hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yes. There's like, hope. Yes. <laughs> the look of despair on Nicole's face. You're telling me I can get from this to this, yeah? <laughs> yes. No, from yes. From what you were saying, I definitely think now, if anything, I struggle with avoidant in a sense of like, mm. I want to protect myself and I mm. won't even give you the opportunity to leave me and abandon mm. me. But mm. I have another question on that. So yes. if it's disorganized or anxious or mm-hmm. avoidant, does that just stem from abandonment issues always? I think that's a really good question. I think that ultimately you have to think about it. When we are children we once once we come into this world we're developing a understanding of what the world how we fit in the world and what the world means to us right and so we develop attach like our attachment styles is really developed early on because we really need secure individuals to help us understand and protect us from the world that's really scary it's inevitable there's going to be something that's going to happen and so we depend on our caregivers to really help us work through emotions, understand emotions, and um, create a level of safety when the world is unsafe. And so if something happens where that safety is not there, uh, yeah, it's okay, am I going to have to figure this out on my own? Am I alone in this world? Whether it's I don't want to figure this out alone in this world, or I'm going to do this alone in the world, it comes back to basically the attachment element of, okay, I'm either going to do this alone or I'm not. Does that make sense? So I do feel like there is an element of abandonment. Absolutely. But abandonment can look so different for so many people. It doesn't have to be the black and white textbook abandonment of my mom left me and never came back. That does happen, of course, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be my teacher would not call on me in class because of whatever reason, because there was favoritism. Mm. There's a level of abandonment there. Absolutely. I do have a question for you that is... I I would love to get, not even in the question, I really want to get your perspective on is that, do you believe that abandonment has happened in previous generations is passed down genetically? Do you think that's possible? Or do you think it's more so that parent or the caregiver figure passes it down to you through training or through observational learning? So I'm just curious. Such a good question. I think that's such a good question. I think I'm a firm believer in intergenerational trauma. 1000%. Okay. I'm, I'm a living version of that. Um, mm-hmm. I feel, I don't know if it's so much a genetics thing. I genuinely feel like it's a, it's an external thing, right? It's mm-hmm. what feels familiar to us. It's what is 
what we understand. It could be a cultural thing. It could be a society thing. But if you're in this dynamic where your, your perception of attachment or your perception of life is a certain way and you pass it on to your child, but now your child is living in the United States and that style doesn't work for them, that's going to be passed down to them. Does that make sense? So I don't think, I don't personally think it's like a genetics thing. I think that there's other genetics that play a role in mental health, but I feel like when Mm -hmm. it comes to attachment styles, um, the intergenerational trauma is a factor and it comes from life and Mm -hmm. how we were molded and shaped in it. That's my opinion, at least. No, I I love that perspective. And I love that you shared it. And I heard this thing the other day, it was actually someone that came on our podcast and they said, and it was like about attachment styles, but in a different perspective, they were saying when you're a kid and you go through observational learning and you're learning who you are and your personality, like up until age, I think it was seven, they said, if a kid, let's say they have this favorite Barbie that they're super, super connected with, and then they lose it in a supermarket one day, like they bring it to the store and they lose this Barbie and the parent is just, don't worry about it. We'll get you another one that it can actually show up later in life to them. That's something that had such deep meaning to them. They don't have to really connect with because they're like, oh, I'll just get another one. So like in relationships later on in life, it could also look like that where they're like, oh, I deeply like you, but I'll get another one. Do you feel like that's, yeah. Do you agree with that? I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think that's super, that's a really uh, good example and, and interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's totally a factor. And this is the thing I, I feel so strongly about that statement. I, this is my third time saying it. So I apologize, but I feel so strongly about it. Every child perceives and receives the world differently. What we may see, see as so benign, that child perceived that Barbie as something significant to them. And then what their parents said to them, whether their parent followed through or not, it's like, oh, it's easily replaceable. What is that teaching the child? And so I always say this, as a parent, you are going to mess up in some way, shape, or form. There is no perfect parent in this world. Zero. And yeah, I I think that I totally agree with that. I can totally see that being a factor if that really does happen for the individual. Right. I thought it was so interesting when she said it the other day. I was like, you know what? That makes sense because I used to not get deeply connected with anything. My parents were always like, just don't worry about it. We'll get something new. Or if we lost it, it wasn't serious. And then I noticed like I had such a hard time for years. I'm 28 Mm. now trying to have a deep connection with a partner. And I was always just Mm. used to just things get tossed out or not that serious or removed a lot because of being a victim from places. So I just couldn't get deeply connected to things for long periods of time. It gave me serious commitment issues. But I do want to go away from that because I could harp on this shit for freaking 45 days. And I know our (laughs) listeners are not going to want to hear about my travel all the time. I would love (laughs) to hear about when two different attachment styles are together. Because for instance, like an anxious person dating an avoidant person, Mm. is there a way for that to be healthily worked out or are they just not necessarily compatible are they basically just screwed and 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 it's inevitable they're gonna break up no i i (laughs) i actually feel working with couples i genuinely can say it's pretty consistent when i'm working with couples i'm always seeing one or the other right i'm always seeing one have an Mm. anxious attachment style and i'm always seeing one with an avoidant attachment style i'm not kidding you like i can literally tell you most of the time when couples come to me, that's usually what I see. And so what I think that is, or at least the psychological explanation when it comes to that dynamic is going back to inner child, right? And, And intertwining that in attachment styles and relationships. If a child is familiar with chaos, and again, remember chaos can be be defined in so many different ways. But if a child is, is familiar with chaos, guess what? When they become adults, they're going to gravitate towards chaos, right? 
And so if you're an individual that has an anxious attachment style, it, being alone is too chaotic for you. And so you're going to naturally, it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but you may potentially gravitate towards someone who's avoidant, let's just say, right? And so now you're trying to conquer with this person what you couldn't conquer as a child. You're basically trying to prove to yourself subconsciously, like I am worthy of love, I'm going to prove to them, and I'm going to break them from being avoidant from me, because that feels so familiar to me. And I'm going to prove that I am a lovable person. So it goes back to your own stuff. So I feel like it happens all the time, or like an individual who's avoidant will attract someone who's anxious, because they're so familiar with, let's say, a helicopter parent. So a helicopter mm -hmm. parent who's like always on them. So that that's chaotic. So that's familiar to them. And now they're attracting someone who is just like that. And they're trying to conquer what they couldn't conquer as a kid. Like, I need the space and I'm going to conquer it through you. And so if we don't pay attention to our own stuff, what ends up happening is we as couples get sucked into each other's spirals. If we do not notice our own stuff and our own inner child, so when you're triggered, that's immediately your own stuff coming up. The trigger, sure, mm -hmm. may be outside of you, but what's happening internally is your own stuff. You're responsible for that. And so right. that's the type of work that I do with my couples where it's, okay, what came up for you? Let's notice it and let's work through it so that you're not also getting spiraled and then getting sucked into their spirals. And now it's like this tornado of a diet spiral where it's like, mm. what just happened? What were you even, what were you even fighting about? I forgot. Yeah. And then you, yeah. yeah. And then you have this crazy passionate dynamic after the fact, and it feels like everything is fine, but everything gets swept under the rug. No, it doesn't work that way. It's so high and it's so low, which is a huge red flag. And you can work mm -hmm. on that if you are aware. That's so crazy how yeah. subconsciously we attract what's bad for us. Yeah. And then we chase it. <sighs> Yeah. And I hate to me, I, I, because it, of course I'm a therapist, so this is coming from a therapist perspective, perspective, but I feel like even the people that are toxic, of course, it's not healthy for us. It's not working for us, but there's so much compassion there that we have to have for ourselves. Like, why are we even attracting this toxic person? It's because our, there's a part of us that really needs attention. And so even though this relationship isn't working for me, this relationship is actually helping me see how much I need to take care of me. Yeah. I always say that everyone's a mirror. And I need to know if this is accurate because I'm out here yeah. spreading this like it's the freaking <laughs> Times News. So I need to know if this is true. But I always say like, our subconscious mind's job is to affirm our internal reality externally. Like it'll take information and it'll say, okay, let me affirm that for you some way outside of us. So let's say you have a limiting belief that you're not deserving. It'll be like, okay, miss girl, here's a undeserving man. Here's a man who's going to make you feel less than. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Because I need to shut up on TikTok. If it's not. <laughs> I love that. No, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think we're absolutely constantly seeking validation and, and evidence for whatever we believe our narrative is. And oftentimes mm -hmm. we do that because we're hoping one day we won't find the evidence to prove what we negatively think about ourselves. But all you're we're doing wanting to be is, proved wrong. Exactly. So there's that element. But if subconsciously you believe less than about yourself or you don't feel good about yourself, it's inevitable you're going to attract that. It's not just in romantic relationship. It's also in friendships. It's also in colleagues. It happens all the time. Wow. First yeah. of all, thank you for being here with us because I'm like taking notes, <laughs> man. I'm taking notes. <laughs> I love, I love it. But I would say, because for me personally, 
gone from really toxic relationships to a really healthy one now. And it's 1000% I can thank therapy for that yeah. and thank inner child work. But for someone who's wanting to get started with inner child work, I know you briefly touched on it earlier. Mm-hmm. Is there like a book or is there something that you would recommend to just get started like journaling or things like that mm-hmm. if they're not in a position to start working with a therapist? I think there, there are tons and tons of books out there. There's the attachment style books. I think it's called Attached. Mm. There is for trauma. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's pretty popular and it talks about how Good trauma book. is stored. Read there, that. Really good. It's good, right? Yeah. It's a really good book. So there are a lot of resources out there to start educating ourselves on. And I'll think of some more, maybe we could put that in the show notes. So I'll get you some more resources. But I also feel some other things you could do as far as tools go, if you are in this position where you're like, I really want to dig in, I really want to explore and understand myself. That's number one, bring attention to that, right? And then what you could do is, yeah, journaling is really great. I really encourage journaling. I think sitting down and even not just journaling to the adult version of you, but maybe journaling to the younger version of you. What version of you stands out when you think of this thing of you constantly attracting this toxic individual, right? Try to see if you can visualize that version of you and journal, write a letter to them saying, I'm here for you. We don't need that person. You need me, right? So I think journaling is good. I think something that can be really helpful is because it all stems from childhood taking a picture of yourself, if you have a picture of yourself and visualizing doing some guided imagery work and visualizing that child sitting next to you, taking that child Mm -hmm. out of whatever unhealthy place you may be seeing them in your vision and bringing them into a safe environment with you so that they know that they feel safe with you. In order for you to break any type of cycle, your parts of you, the younger versions of you need to know that they can depend on you versus depending on what's outside of you. I will say the one thing that's been really useful for me is I'm doing a lot of inner child work now over the last few months because I noticed my inner child is always feeling like you're going to you're gonna leave me or you're going to abandon me for somebody else, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what I did my whole life was abandoning. Mm-hmm. And so now that I'm finally like taking care of her, anytime I meditate or anytime like things get loud in my mind, it's like younger me is, are you going to leave? Mm-hmm. Are you going to leave us? We're finally got this good thing going. Are you going to leave? So I'm mm-hmm. like constantly trying to talk to my inner child and be like, sis, I got you. Everything's good here. Like we're not... In the chaotic situations we used to be. Yeah. So I will say to our listeners, do the inner child work. It will absolutely make a difference. I have to say, I I do think that sometimes what ends up happening is there is this fear because it's hard. Like we we know this, we all know this because we've done work. It's really hard to dig in and dive in because A, our bodies actually do something to us. Our nervous system kicks in and tells us the amygdala part of our brain that has our, you know, fight or flight response basically reacts and says, oh, this is dangerous. Don't even go there. So I don't want to talk about this. So I think something to be mindful of is while you're journaling or while you're wanting to explore your inner child, be mindful to incorporate like coping mechanisms, healthy coping mechanisms. There's something called progressive muscle relaxation. I love it. It's such a great Mm. technique. You could just Google it, progressive muscle relaxation. It basically teaches you to tense your body and release, tense your body and release. And the release is supposed to basically show you like, when your when your body reacts, like you got this, it's not here, it's not your mind, it's your body. So tell your amygdala you're fine. So there's something like that. There's something in our EMDR world we call butterfly hug, which is you basically take your two hands, make it like a butterfly, bring it by your collarbones, and then stop start tapping. So when you're feeling like okay, I want to go there, but my body is like scaring me and telling me this is too dangerous, 
incorporate some kind of physical tool like that, like those two things. And, and it will help calm your nervous system down to really tap into that journaling exercise or that visiting your part of you and talking to that part of you exercise. What I'm loving about this mental health awareness movement that has been happening is that they're realizing that mental health isn't just mental and it is deeply connected to the body. And so what you just said about the butterfly hug, does that, would that be something a part of EFT tapping? Is that what that is? Or like the I think it's similar. I, I'm not really too familiar with EFT, that therapeutic approach, but I want to say it's very similar, I should say, where, yeah, it's incorporating tapping to calm your nervous system. But I think they do different types of tapping as well in different parts of your body. But it is very similar. I think it's to deactivate and deescalate your nervous system so that you're conscious and not going into the subconscious part of your brain. That's like in yoga when I'm opening up my hips and everything comes up. Yeah. <laughs> I just start hysterically crying. <laughs> Trauma's releasing. Mm. Yeah, everything you mentioned, I've done honestly this past year because I had a series of just unhealthy, toxic relationships. And then I was like, okay, I need to become aware of these patterns. And you mentioned this before, but like both of my parents are still in my life. Like I wasn't big T trauma abandoned, let's say. So I was like, where is this coming from? And I really had to relate to multiple versions of myself. And I, I still am not 100% sure like where all of this came from. But I really went back to times and places where I felt abandoned and it was uncomfortable and my body would go into fight or flight, but it was really helpful now. And I would write letters to her, forgiving her, apologizing that I abandoned her and just trying to like people please others. So I can relate to a lot of that. And it definitely helped me for sure. Thanks for sharing that. I think same for me. I feel like Sometimes you you don't remember everything you've been through. Like here, from cognitively, you don't remember, but I guarantee you, your body will remind you. And there, if you notice, there's certain things that happen to you where you're like, oh, oh my gosh, why do I feel it always in my chest area? Why do I feel the tightness in my throat? Try not to focus on where this is coming from, but what is happening to you. And that in itself can be an opportunity for you to explore healing that needs to happen, right? Whether you have the memory or not, like something is going on for me and it doesn't feel good. So I think um, I totally resonate with that. Because a lot of our listeners are either single or they just left a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. What is something that they can do to honor being single? Singlehood, how do you honor it? What are some good things that you could do that you recommend? Yeah, I think the thing that happens a lot, unfortunately, which then causes us to go back to these unhealthy partners, the same ones and sometimes the same type, is like this element of loneliness, right? It doesn't feel good being alone. And I get it. And of course, there's something about being in a partnership, in a relationship with where it's like th this element of vulnerability that you can't get with your friends and your family. But the reality is that you're not really alone. If you have friends and you have family and you have people that you can fall back on, you're truly not alone. And so I think that's the thing that really comes up for a lot of people is I feel like no one gets me. I feel like I'm alone and I don't like it. And so I would encourage for an individual who is coming out of a toxic relationship, um, who is single and isn't liking it to really surround yourself with people who love you unconditionally with and sometimes it's like, you don't even have to talk to them. You don't have to say anything. Just being around them can be really helpful. And if you're an individual that has a limited support system or is in an area where you can't access it, 
really try to put yourself out there as far as maybe going to a yoga class where you can connect with people. And it's not even a matter of hanging out with them, but just like connecting with them in that dynamic, which can lead to a hangout, of course. So I would say surround yourself and be aware that you're, if it is truly a loneliness thing, um, you can incorporate ways to uh, mend that as you're going through the grief element of the loss of the relationship. And then the Mm -hmm. other part of it is I'm such a firm believer when it comes to a breakup to start scheduling stuff in your schedule. And it's okay if you need defense mechanisms to get through the breakup. Sometimes it's okay to, I don't know, maybe take some time off of work and go on a vacation when you know you really shouldn't be doing that. You might really need that to survive this right now, right? I would say Mm -hmm. schedule stuff in your schedule consistently so that you have something to look forward to. Otherwise, I feel like it's so easy to get into a dark place and spiral in that and then it can lead into other unhealthy situations. Yeah. Do you believe in the no contact rule when people do split? Oh, I feel like it's such a subjective question, but it's a good question. I Mm -hmm. think it really depends. Probably like 80% of the time. Yes. I think the no contact Mm -hmm. rule is necessary because how are you really going to uh, heal from a loss if that person is still there? Right. And so you have to go through the grieving process when it comes to even the, a breakup and actually it makes it harder because the person is still there, but you have to go through the stages of grief. But if that person is there, it's hard to actually allow yourself to feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. I give that percentage because I do feel like there are people that will end a relationship in, in a healthy way um, where there is a mutual respect for one another and there is a mutual love for one another. Um, as long as it's mutual and as long as you guys can maintain that, and everyone is respecting each other's space to heal, then I think that those cases, which is not always, can, I don't think the no contact rule applies. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like if it ends toxic, I don't see that being beneficial Don't call me, don't call me, don't look at me, (laughs) don't even like smell in my direction, just go the other way. (laughs) That's so funny. No, but I honestly will say, at least this is like my perspective on it, Mm-hmm. When I remove my emotions or remove my thoughts from things and I just look at a situation blankly yeah. and neutral, yeah. I think the no contact rule for at least like 30 to 60 days makes sense because mm-hmm. you're having to remove the habit of being in contact with that person. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you're having almost withdrawal yeah. from the habit you're so used to. But that's at least like my perspective on it. But I also know like the toxic thing but it's funny because like even my ex-boyfriends i get along with them so well now but in a (laughs) mutual respect years later okay it took like five years to get there but in a mutual respect way and it's because what exactly what you said as long as both sides are understanding of each other's boundaries and respecting each other's feelings and it's a mutual thing yes but we definitely were no contact and for like the first year for sure i'll give you an example with my own personal stuff because i'd love to be vulnerable so that People remember as therapists, we're still human. I was in a six-year relationship in my early 20s and it became really toxic. And it was one of those dynamics where anxious avoidant, I was super anxious in that relationship and he was super avoidant. And so it was this constant makeup breakup. It was horrible. And I would say the last year was probably the worst. That was a type of relationship where I absolutely, like I changed my phone number. By the way, I changed it like a few times, but the last time was like the last time I did it. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I'm just, if we're going to be really honest, I get it. let me just go there. No, I get right? it. Right? And so in that case, I had to. And then my last relationship, which was four years, 
unfortunately, we both knew that we were not like I wanted to get married, this person didn't. And but we had a lot of love for one another. And I respected his choice. And he respected mine. And we had a great breakup. Um, and um, it was really painful. But he would check in with me here and there as I was going through my process of loss, and I would check in with him. So it's two polar extreme opposites. But um, I really do feel like it just depends on the dynamic you have with that individual. That makes such a huge difference. It's not just you, it's the other person as well. And it doesn't always mm. happen that way. Can we go yeah. into that a little bit? Because I know for me in past relationships yeah. and like friends that I have that are in toxic relationships. So you become aware. You're like, this is not good for me. I know deep in my gut, this person is not good for me. And I'm probably not good for this person. I'm going to end it. And then you're so comfortable with the routine or like the chaos. Mm -hmm. And I would just go back because I was so uncomfortable alone. Mm -hmm. And that happened multiple times. And then obviously I ended things for good. But do you have any tips on when all you want to do is go back because you're used to that routine or yeah. chaos or up and down? Absolutely. How do you stick to your gut and this isn't good for you and actually leave? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think a lot of your listeners, a lot of people out in this world really do struggle with that. To be honest, both men and women, I think men struggle with this as well. My tip with that would be, um, first of all, it's there's a conscious element and then there's a subconscious element. So I feel like if you are aware that consciously this person is not the one for me, but there's something that like there's that thing of like, I know they're the one for me, they're it. This has to be it. They're fighting for me or I'm fighting for them, right? But like consciously, something doesn't align or doesn't make sense. That right there is enough for you to step back and say, okay, let me understand what's happening. And while you're stepping back and asking yourself some really hard questions, you still have to like do tangible things to not go back into the dynamic, right? Which goes back to support system, which goes back to scheduling. So when you step back and you ask yourself those hard questions, you start to notice, okay, yeah, this is a lot of my subconscious. Like this is me wanting to break someone that doesn't even want to be broken. Or this is me that is wanting to be with someone that doesn't even really want to be with me. What does that say about mm -hmm. me? So when you bring it back to you, oh girl, that is really hard. Now you're like, <laughs> oof, right? Like now you're like, oof, I'm, I might be contributing yeah, to I'm this. Yeah. yeah. Like I am a part of this problem and it's, you already know that consciously you're a part of the problem, but when you subconsciously start to ask yourself hard questions, it really resonates with you. And that's where the flooding could come. That's where the overwhelming sensations could come, which is when you incorporate the schedule. So I think it's like a simultaneous yeah. thing where you have to do two things at once. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah for sure. That's definitely, definitely. relatable. Because I think that I, would have been super useful, right? When you look back on your stuff in the past to just yeah. look at it and be like, if, because I, th I think what happens too is we'll have a certain emotion that will come up when you're grieving. Mm -hmm. And if you have an, okay, if this emotion arises, do this, like mm -hmm. a schedule, like you're saying, life would be so much easier. Yeah. And listen, it's, I have to say this because I think it's so important to hear it. It's easy said than done. Everything that right. you do, it, it's hard, it's work. But I think by incorporating compassion and minimizing judgment, it'll, it, you know, because judgment and shame basically is counterproductive. It causes you to then, I'm, I'm just going to go back. Like, I'm already shaming myself. I'm going to go back to the person that was shaming me. So, like, mm -hmm. by incorporating compassion, there's an element of, okay, this is really hard, but 
I'm doing the best I can. I'm human and I deserve to be loved, even if sometimes I don't believe it. And that can be those, the way we talk to ourselves is so powerful. What you say to yourself is essentially what you believe about yourself. So it could be as little as, oh, I'm such an idiot, which we all do this, right? Such an idiot. I left my keys in my car. Okay, then catch it after and say, I'm not an idiot. I'm human. I made a mistake. How you talk to yourself can really ingrain a narrative about yourself and it could be helpful in your healing as well. That's like a side note to the original question, but I think it applies. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I also, though, to go back to the attachment styles really quick, would love to hear, is there anything in the beginning stages of dating that you're like mm-hmm. green flag that is secure mm-hmm. dating because i know mm-hmm. the red flags like don't tomorrow what to look for but it's i don't necessarily know the green ones mm-hmm. off the bat so in the beginning sure. stages what would you say are like green flags yeah i think consistency is key being consistent I feel like, and that can apply to keeping your word. If you're noticing someone is saying something and they're keeping their word, I feel like that's huge. That's a huge green flag. So consistency would be number one. I think respect is also huge. Does this person respect Mm -hmm. me? Does this person respect who I am? Or are they like trying to change something about me, right? And it could be as simple as the way you dress or the people you hang out with. That's none of their business, right? So a green flag would be, finding a partner that is supportive of you, that will love you and be there for you so that when you do need to fall on someone, they're there for you. You know what I mean? So that would be a huge green flag for me. And I also feel like something a lot of people really, they say that they do, but that they don't do is what are your morals and what are your own values? And if your morals and values do not align with the person you're dating. It doesn't have to be in the same order, but if it doesn't align in any way, such as if it's not the top five, then that that's a red flag. But if it does align, then that's a green flag. When should someone bring that up? How do you bring up what are your morals and your values? And then my other question is, I'm the biggest preacher for intentional dating. Like the last year before I met my boyfriend, I was like, Hi, yeah, I'm looking for someone that wants something long-term. Like, I want a husband. I was so clear about it because I just wanted to sketch through. But when do you think uh, someone should ask about their morals and values? And then when should you ask about what someone's intentions are? or Or do you not ask them? Do you tell them what yours are? I think that's also such a good question, and it comes up a lot. The The problem when it comes to dating is sometimes we rush into... We rush and we confuse intimacy with intensity, And when we confuse intimacy with intensity, we're not asking questions. You're basically not getting to know them anymore. So I feel number one is try to be mindful that when you're dating someone, you're really getting to know them. And that means you have to be a little bit, little protective of yourself, whatever that means, whether it's sex, whether it's meeting your family and your friends, like you're getting to know them. You're getting to know what their morals and values are. Sometimes that happens through questions in the first few dates. And sometimes they just basically show you like, oh, I don't really care to go to my family's event. That kind of tells you that they may not really value family dynamics. And that's okay. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. That just means that might be a thing for them. And then it's also an opportunity for you to explore and ask them questions in that moment. So actually listening, and that is what helps create intimacy when you are actually listening, reflective listening, and open ended questions. So I feel like those types of questions can, can actually be answered on their own when you're getting to know someone without rushing into stuff. But I also feel like it's okay to say the first date when you're getting to know someone, what are you looking for? And if they tell you I'm looking for a monogamous relationship, 
great, me too. And I'm really wanting something I really love is to get married and to have kids. And they may say, Oh, okay, I'm open to kids. And that might be good enough for you. But if you're like, No, I don't want you to change your mind five years from now, then you have to really explore that and maybe ask some more questions. And then yeah. you can ultimately decide it, it, that'll be telling for you in itself. So you do think the first date you think you should be asking about what are you looking for? Listen, I feel I am in my or first, maybe like the first couple of dates. I think the first couple of dates. I think the I think it also depends on like your life experiences. I am in my 30s and I feel like it's not that I don't have time. It's not that I'm it's not a time wasting thing. It's just more of I know what I want and and so I just feel if the conversation is flowing, then I'll go there. I really suss the dynamic, observe it and go based on that, but if it's not the first date, definitely the first few dates. So I, I am okay with that. I think it's healthy. I feel like all dynamics are different too. Because I'm totally, the same yeah. way. I can basically answer all my questions from dynamics. And I feel like if I can't read it and I'm not clear on something, I also already know my answer. Maybe I'll yeah, ask exactly. it just to make sure that's Confirm the right it. answer. But mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, yeah. Do you know what I really want to bring up before we close this bad boy out yeah. is... Yeah, yeah bringing intuition into dating and like your Mm -hmm. perspective on intuition from Mm -hmm. a psychotherapist because I have to go with my gut all of the time on decisions but then sometimes I confuse my intuition on a situation Mm -hmm. for anxiety or like I'm bringing up past situations into something so Mm -hmm. is there a way to know the difference between your gut feeling versus anxiety or nervousness I am a firm believer in intuition discernment I'm a firm believer that we all have it and the more we bring attention to it, the stronger it gets. Um, I also am a firm believer given I am, you know, as our bodies sometimes react and our bodies reacting can confuse us with what we think is our intuition. So there is that element. I feel Ooh. like if you do the inner work and you really like meditation helps, yoga helps. If you do the work where you get to know yourself internally, what your body is communicating to you, then you will be able to truly use your intuition in moments where it's screaming at you. But if you're not, if you're disconnected internally, then your body might be screaming to you something totally different. And that is more trauma based. So that's my two cents when it comes to intuition and discernment. I'm such a firm believer in energy. That was worth, Each. that was not two cents. That was $2 billion right there. <laughs> Someone should have paid you a stack for that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Good. Hopefully amazing. that's helpful. Oh, Very everything helpful. you've said today has been absolutely amazing. So. I kind of have like a million more questions, so <laughs> we might have Every, to have you on again. <laughs> everyone has that therapist that's their friend. So I'm here. Utilize yeah. me. Can we establish this as you're my therapist friend now? I got you. I got you. I got you. My therapist friend. Yeah. All right. So where can everyone find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My name is Adrene underscore therapy. And then my website is literally just my first name and last name dot com. So Adrene Devitian dot com. You can find me there. Okay, okay. So we love to close out every episode with giving a prompt or something that they can go do in their journal. Would there be anything, a question you should ask yourself? Let's say that the specifically for someone who is single, had past toxic relationships, going looking for something healthy. What is a question that they should ask themselves and do some journal work on that we could leave them with? A journal prompt I feel can be really useful is 
when it comes to a, a person who's single and a person who's just really wanting to be in a healthy relationship, I think it, the journal pump I would use is which part of me is the part of me that feels the loneliest and which part of me mm -hmm. is the one that really seeks love and use that prompt as a opportunity to connect to that version of you so that you can journal and talk to that part of you and give them what they want. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, guys. Gonna do that tonight. <laughs> Adrina just dropped that on you, and I hope you all go and lean <laughs> drop, into it because drop the me in a relationship, I'm going to go do it anyways because, like, you never know. You could, there's parts that always need healing along the way that we yeah. learn as we're in relationships. I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah, yeah, you're like, say less, sister. Seriously. <laughs> Literally, practice what we preach out here. But it was so right. incredible having you. Thank you so much. Seriously, I hope that everyone in the world goes to you. I know, I know you don't have the time to see everyone in the world that listens to this, but I, mm. if someone's lucky enough to get an appointment with you, they're in for a win. But thank you so much for being here with us. Guys, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wellness Members Club. We are so grateful to have you here. We are here to help you heal in your journeys because no girl needs to go through anything alone anymore. You have a team of girlies here to get you through. So thank you and have an amazing day. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>